Tua. Fires, touchdown Miami. Waddle snuck into the end zone of Miami. Boy, tight throw, tight window. They had to get that touchdown on that play to get it. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we go back to the Wednesday podcast and kind of pick up where we left off there and take a look at the offseason and what that could look like with one ultimate takeaway that bodes well for the team. Before we do that, I want to look at five things the Dolphins need to do this offseason to take the next step. Plus, we'll take a look at our first glance at the 2022 schedule, the opponents on that Dolphin schedule. Busy show from somewhere in South Florida. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So before we get into the pathways the Dolphins could take in the offseason, I think we first have to go back and look at what pathways we want to explore based upon things the Dolphins need to get better at. And Coach McDaniel addressed some of the stuff on different media he's done the last couple of weeks. And just based upon the results we have last year, I think some of those are relatively obvious, as they are for most teams around the National Football League. So here are five things I think Miami can do to improve upon the 9-8 and eight record. And I'm sure Coach has a list of plenty of things, but the top five for me are as follows. Number one, significantly improve the running game. And truthfully, you could probably expand this into five subsets on its own. That's how multi-layered it is. But this is a process over results podcast, but still let's go ahead and look at the results. Last year, 30th in rushing, 31st in yards per rush, and 26th in rushing touchdowns. One way you can get better there is adding decades of experience of successful run game coordinators a good step already done but also how about the offensive line look rushing off particular gaps the pro football focus grades the the results just they were what they were right and it all points to needing improvement there now that said I think the backs too I think we saw where this line was at its best in the running game last year when Duke Johnson saw his role increase late in the season and I'll mention this in our second need with regards to the quarterback and Tua Tungavailoa in the passing game But how many times did we discuss on the All-22 Review podcast this season the well-blocked run plays that didn't produce as much yardage as they could have? I think Duke Johnson helped highlight a little bit of that with those two big rushing performances where he generated not just yards after contact, but the explosive runs that were missing for much of the season last year. The Dolphins ranked 31st in explosive runs. That's 10-plus yard runs last season in the National Football League. Another element of that, the vertical threat. Last year, the idea of adding Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller to stretch not just horizontally, but vertically, was a legit idea. It's tough to play single high safety when you have those types of vertical threats, but we saw that difficult to come by because, number one, no team in the NFL had a quicker time to pressure rate on average than Miami in the passing game, and number two, Will Fuller only played a handful of snaps with that brutal finger injury. And we'll address the latter point here in number four. But first, number two, better quarterback production. The reason this is number two is because all those things from number one play into it so much. Tua passing with a lead, I thought was an interesting split for his stats. 6.7 yards per pass, two touchdowns, and four picks. That's got to be the opposite. That's where it's supposed to be the easiest 
to throw the football when the defense has to honor both the run and the pass. And you can get some nice completions from play actions on first down. Like you go 12 personnel and you run play action to kick off a drive where you have a touchdown lead or a 10-point lead. Your chances of hitting completions on that particular instance are so much higher than it is when you're down by 10 points and the defense knows that you have to run the foot or pass the football rather. Plus, watch any Coach McDaniel coached game and you'll see the impact the running game has on the passing game every single week. And putting Tua in more advantageous situations and not playing to the score where it's early down runs and then you ask him to make a play on third and long because that's how the situation dictates, that's not a practice that's going to yield consistent results to help your defense close out games. You can close out games both offensively and defensively. You have every every snap as a chance to help the other side of the football out. But also, too, back to something that Coach mentioned on the Dan Levitard show a couple weeks back about what Tua needs to work on. He said, playing the quarterback position. And look, that's, that goes beyond accuracy, arm strength, escapability, all that stuff. It's more about the intangibles and the cerebral aspect of the game. And for a quarterback just in his third season as a pro and, and a limited college resume in terms of snaps played, there's always going to be room to grow in that regard. There's a reason why most of the good quarterbacks in the NFL tend to get better at age 25 and beyond. And a lot of these good quarterbacks until this recent surge were on the other side of age 30 because the more you see, the better you can play the position. And look, we were hyped and critical both aside every single Tuesday on the All-22 Reviews about every position. But what was the one consistent mention I made weekly when discussing quarterback play this season? Finding those hots and having solutions for the defensive look from pre-snap alignment to post-snap rotation. And the one that sticks out to me frequently is that shallow cross against that vacated second-level defenders coming on pressure looks or chasing a back or a tight end or getting back into the deep, the, the tube, as it were, the Tampa 2 coverage down the pipe there. And to recognize those, that's an area where Tua has had some success, <laughs> but to be more consistent there, that will help change the way the defense attacks you. It will create bigger plays and it will obviously create better down and distances. So the nice thing here, this is internal and something that comes from training, repetition, and doesn't require any of those resources to be spent. If you can get up to that level, you need, of course. And that's that's the nice part. It's incumbent. It's it's inherent. It's not, we have to go spend this, this, and this to go get that fixed. You can do that in-house. Number three, less explosives in the run defense game. We've seen this defense just tee it up time and time again when they are A, ahead on the scoreboard, or B, having success against the run. Sometimes it's both. Usually it's both when it is. I think it's something they do well more times than not, but like Coach said, if we're not getting better, we're getting worse. And I think it, I think just a little more early down run game success could really, really see this defense come to realize its true potential for 17 games, opposed to one half of season of football last year, and then the 2020 season really getting after it after the first four games in a 1-3 start. I think this stat best explains what the Dolphins' run defense was this year. Very, very good, but a few too many occasional big plays, especially late in the season. They were 14th in overall run defense, but they ranked 22nd in explosive plays allowed. So most of that came from the big running plays. 50 explosive plays, 50 10-plus yard runs. That's a 12% clip for the opposing offense. So get that explosive rate down, and you probably move into a top 10 run defense, which helps the NFL's second-best quarterback sacking defense get more opportunities to do that, to create more pressure, to create more possible takeaways, and it just creates more opportunities for Xavier Howard and Javon Holland to make plays back there. 
Number four, offensively, more explosives in the passing game, more weapons. Mike McDaniel talked about putting the ball in the hands of players who were best at running with it after the catch. And one of the functions of this offense is that all the things that you can catch someone's eye on, getting the ball quickly into those guys' hands with the design of misdirection that can cause those false steps and wandering eyes, you need to capitalize on that space you create by maximizing yard after the catch potential. Break one tackle and all of a sudden, because you have a safety who came down, all of a sudden that third level defender, you get a 10 yard after the catch run that turns into a 40 yard run after the catch. Does that make sense? The Dolphins were 27th in explosive passing plays this season. Those are 20 plus yard plays. And there were 26th in Yak. The Niners were 9th in that, in that stat this year. Jalen Waddell averaged 4.6 Yak average per catch. The next best on the team was 3.3, which ranked 84th in the National Football League. McDaniel also mentioned in his interview with Marcel Louis-Jacques of ESPN that Tua's ball placement and catchable football and spiral were all things about his game that he liked and that receivers will like. And the best way to maximize that is with game breakers once the ball gets into their hands. Waddle for sure is that. Now let's get some more. Number five, get special teams back on track. A bit of a detour from what we enjoyed in 2020. And honestly, the thing that I worry about the least here is Jason Sanders. The process, the swing of the leg, the consistency he shows in practice, the way he works, his approach, his mindset, his mentality. I think he's wired the right way. I just think kicking can be a little bit volatile. And I want to put someone in that position who has all the things we just mentioned and trust that his process will create the results we need. That alone would be a huge bump for the Dolphins special teams. But more than that, there was also two blocked field goals. Get better at that. The special teams DVOA finished 29th this year. And again, just to look at the results, things you can improve upon. That 29th DVOA rank, the lowest field goal percentage with two blocks in the National Football League. 24th in punting average, 23rd in net punting but fifth in punts downed inside the 10-yard line. I think that's a credit to both Polardi and the coverage units and guys like Matt Collins to get down there and down that thing. So that all leads into this idea of free agency and draft resource options. And on the Wednesday podcast last week, we discussed the top 200 free agents list from Pro Football Focus. And they also had market value assigned in that piece. So using that, I want to go ahead and look at routes Miami could conceivably take to get those improvements and take that next step. But first, let's take our first break. We'll come back right to this exercise, right to this portion of the podcast, Drive Time Podcast, Travis Wingful, presented by AutoNation. Back here on the Drive Time Podcast, taking a look at some off-season potential options for the Dolphins as they head into another off-season where they have the number one available cap space. They have some options to create more cap space, and they have some nice draft capital as well coming up in April. And to refer back to the current cap allocation that has every single position group on this roster outside of cornerback in the bottom half of the National Football League in terms of spending and all positions besides corner and wide receiver in the bottom third, 21st or lower. So I think remove cornerback from the equation and we'll look at the top of the market, mid-tier and bargain type of options for every spot. Let's go ahead and do that right now at the quarterback position. And I think here you just kind of rule this one out as well because there is not... Actually, allow me to rephrase that. As far as the starting quarterback position goes, I think that's really where you have to rule it out in terms of massive potential upgrades outside of some crazy type of trade with a, you know a big-time veteran out there who's not really on the market but maybe could become on the market. But 
The Dolphins do have an opening at the backup quarterback position, and we saw just this last year how important that is. So this list has some guys that might kind of fall into that realm, but there isn't like the a Peyton Manning or Tom Brady type of player available this year. It's Jameis Winston top the PFF list, and he's probably looking at more of a low-end starter money slash potential top-end backup money, kind of like Teddy Bridgewater, the two top quarterbacks on this list. So I don't think this position even applies to the exercise, especially when you consider at the draft at pick 29 in what is a bit of a down year at the quarterback position. At best, we're probably talking mid-level investment, right? I just don't know if there's a lot of opportunity there to get a whole heck of a lot better at the quarterback position. At running back, I think this room for the Dolphins has plenty of good players and guys that satisfy particular roles. But like we saw with Duke Johnson at the end of the year, kind of giving them the shot in the arm, I think that's what you need for the full 17 games, that one final piece that can kind of make everybody better at the job they do. Now, is that bringing back Duke? Is that in the draft? Is that in free agency? None of Daniel Jeremiah, Jordan Reed, or the draft network have a running back inside their top 40 players. So it's probably not until the second round pick, which I think qualifies as a fringe premium resource slash mid-tier. I typically put it into the premium resource, especially when it's at pick 50 where Miami's is but it's tough to say. So those guys are Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, Isaiah Spiller from Texas A&M, and Brees Hall from Iowa State. And those are the only three guys in the top two rounds of pretty much every major publication. And free agency, to me, there's one guy that could maybe qualify as a premium resource, but just based on what has happened at the running back market over the last decade or so, I'm not so sure that's the case. But Correll Patterson, PFF's projected market is two years, 12 million. So Six million is just not a premium resource in today's National Football League where the cap space is up over 200 million. It's almost perfectly mid-tier, in fact. Interestingly, though, 30 spots later, they have a higher projection for Lenny Fournette. Maybe the age factor there? But even that is two for 16. Eight million per year. Again, that's not quite. It's close. It's not quite premium. Then Edmonds and Connor and Michelle, they've got them all in the four or five million per range. That's about it for the running back spot. Not the deepest year at running back. At wide receiver, Will Fuller was the Dolphins' top resource in terms of free agent spending last offseason. Then they used their top draft resource on Jalen Waddell, so it's not like it wasn't a priority last year, and one of those worked fantastically, and the other one got hurt. But you have to imagine that'll be a priority again to get that second part of that right because of how crucial it will be for this offense. And as we mentioned Wednesday, the free agent class is full of guys, and so is the draft. Devontae Adams will set the market here. I mean, I've, I've seen reports about Devontae Adams and written pieces and all types of stuff that suggest he's going to get the biggest non-quarterback contract ever. What is that? 25, 30 million more? Who knows? I mean, you've got nearly double-digit names that would garner a premium resource here with the top free agent or money or pick 29. There's so many of them. Chris Godwin, 4 for 70 projection. Mike Williams, 4 for 68. Allen Robinson's projected for 3 for 48. Odell Beckham, 1 for 14. The years there probably tied to the ACL injury he just had. Michael Gallup, 2 for 25. Still in that premium range, but a bit of a drop-off. He also is coming off an injury. Juju Smith-Schuster, 1 for 8. Christian Kirk, 3 for 35. DJ Shark, 3 for 40. Like, it's still back in the premium. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 3 for 25. Russell Gage, 4 for 30. He's number 101 on the list, and they've got him at over 7 million, 7.5 mil per year. Speaks to the depth at the receiver position. Some other guys, Cedric Wilson, two for 11. Zay Jones, three for 18. Still six. Isaiah McKenzie, two for nine. That's, what is that, four and a half? I like that number a lot. 
So some of those numbers make you look at the draft class that has had a handful of guys projected to go in that kind of 10 to 15 range between Burks and London and Olave, Wilson and Williams and Dotson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's plenty of options there. At tight end, Gasicki and Smythe are both up for new deals with Hunter Long entering year two. Seathan Carter signed for almost exclusively special teams work last year. And then Adam Shaheen has another year left as well. Lots of avenues here too. And we mentioned that Mike was in that premium group among the top free agent tight ends as one of the top guys in the pro football focus list at twenty at the number 20 spot. Right behind him is Dalton Schultz at 21, four for 52 projected. Gronk is one for seven. We know his age and that retirement possibility factors into that. David Njoku, three for 37. Zach Ertz, two for 20. So we're still at 10 mil per year right now. Gerald Everett, three for 25. Evan Ingram, two for 18. The drop-off goes to Max Williams at three for 18. That's six per. Moelle Cox, three for 21. That's seven per. We're back up again. Robert Tanyan, one for five. That's about where we get to the mid-tier level. It's also a nice draft class with Trey McBride, Isaiah Likely, Jeremy Ruckert, that fullback slash tight end combination that I can't pronounce his name yet from Maryland. Man, we're less than a month to go until free agency starts, and we still have all these names on this list. But again, the draft class, also nice. The receiver, tight end positions really, really have some nice names this year. On the offensive line, this is where the options get just really crazy in terms of, again, there are so many, especially because of Miami's inherent position versatility. You can go tackle and guard, and you can probably plug them in wherever you want to because they have so many options on the incumbents list. Let's go ahead and pass on the projected cost here because there's just way too much to cover for inside-outside. But you know the drill here. Premiums, Ryan Jensen, Brandon Scherf, Lakin Tomlinson, Connor Williams in that mid-tier, James Daniels, Austin Corbett, Andrew Norrell, Alex Kappa, Brian Allen, Bradley Bozeman. Bargain names, Trey Turner, Quentin Spann, Ted Karras, Matt Paradis. At the tackle position, premiums, Teron Armstead, Orlando Brown, Dwayne Brown. Mid-tier, Morgan Moses, Eric Fisher, Riley Reef, Jermaine Effetti. Bargain name, Brandon Shell. Just, there's just a lot of options. We're going to come back to that here in a second. On the interior defensive line, I honestly probably balk here too. This feels more like a position where maybe you go after it in the draft because one, it's a pretty solid draft class for a position group that tends to slide a little bit each year. And number two, you already have presumed production in the bank with Wilkins, Sealer, Davis, Butler, so maybe, kind of like Noah Igbenogany, but not in round one, you draft someone with an eye for the future here. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see. At the edge position. Now, we've got one of our own here again, like, like we did with Kasiki and Emmanuel Ogba. But as we mentioned on Wednesday, it's a deep, deep, deep group position here, both in the draft and free agency. Premium-wise, Chandler Jones, Von Miller, Jadavian Clowney, Randy Gregory, Melvin Ingram, Hassan Reddick, Laurent, or Harold Landry. <laughs> it's crazy. Mid-tier. Justin Houston, Jerry, uh, Jeremy Hughes, Jerry Hughes, no Jeremy, Derek Barnett in the bargain bin, Charles Harris, Jason Pierre-Paul, Chenna Nuosu. I'm not sure those guys are even bargains, by the way. They could be huge contracts for them. And again, this draft is just pure insanity at this position group too. From Hutchinson and Thibodeau at the top to Carl Liftus and Ojabo in the middle to Sanders and Jermaine Johnson, Logan Hall in the second and third round. I mean, that's probably second round, really. I mean, you can pick where you want to target your edge player and probably find a name that fits the value there. At linebacker, this one's a little more cut and dry. The draft with Lloyd and Dean as premium options, and then some more mid-round values like a Darian Beavers or Chad Muma. But back to free agency, premium-wise, not a lot. Devondre Campbell in the mid-range, Alexander Johnson, Ola Kuhn from the Falcons. I 
I fail to pronounce his name every time. Leighton Vander Esch, Josie Jewell, Dante Hightower, Anthony Barr. Bargain-wise, Jawan Bentley, Jayon Brown. At cornerback, probably the same idea here as the quarterbacks and interior defensive line. Just loaded for the Dolphins team. X, Byron, Needham, Igbo, Coleman. And like we mentioned on the interior defensive line, it might be more of a developmental approach. Some free agents that might fit that mold, Dante Jackson, Robert Altford, Kawan Williams, Rasul Douglas, Akella Weatherspoon. Weatherspoon's one for four on PFF, where Dante Jackson's two for 20. So those guys fall in that mid to bargain range with four million per, to 10 million per. It's a big range there. And then finally at safety, you have to feel good here too. Maybe that's the idea of development since you have really three proven players, two of them in year three in Brandon Jones and year two in Javon Holland, respectively. Now, few defenses, if any, use their third safety more than Josh Boyer. So it's still very important. Probably not looking at Marcus Williams or Jesse Bates here, the top two guys in the market, which PFF has in the 12 to 14 million per range. But Marcus Mays at 44 projected one for six, but he has an injury he's coming off of. So that has to factor in because Quandre Diggs is next at 52 on the list. And he's up there for three for 30. That's a premium resource at safety anywhere, but definitely at safety. Then we get to Jordan Whitehead at 70, which is projected three for 18. Again, pretty spendy. I look at a guy like Anthony Harris at 161, who's one for four. That's probably more the speed there if you go in that direction. So again, countless paths here. And for the sake of the game, let's give ourselves two free agents at the mid and one premium signing for each pathway. And there's no way to correctly assess what that looks like. So this is more for the principle of showing you how many options this Dolphins team has with these, whether you want to call them four, five, six, seven, eight premium resources. So a premium, two mid-tier contracts, then whatever would happen with the bargains, we're not going to get into that. Then the draft picks at 29 and 50. So we're talking about what here? Five players in total to get us those five corrections we need to see that was listed at the top of the show for a possible playoff push, not to mention incumbents and internal improvement, which we have mentioned on this podcast so many times is the most important thing. Path number one, here's what I did. Ryan Jensen, the center from the Bucks, receiver Michael Gallup, Emmanuel Ogba, and then in the draft, Nicobe Dean and Daniel Falele. So premium offensive line, secondary receiver and edge, then to the draft for a linebacker and an offensive line. And that Jensen spot could be any number of players in that range, whether it's Lakin Tomlinson, Brandon Scherf. But the money spent there on interior offensive line, opposed to going the tackle route, allows us to spend a little bit more in the next two mid-tier guys, like a Gallup and an Ogba, for instance. Then... We round that out with Georgia's Nakobe Dean and Daniel Falele from Minnesota for that thumping three-down Mike linebacker, which I also think makes Jerome Baker a lot better a player, and then a massive body, an extremely high upside player in Falele. What if we divert those resources in another direction, like path number two with Chris Godwin, our premium guy, and Correll Patterson, our second tier with Brian Allen from the Rams, and then we draft Zion Johnson, the do-it-all offensive lineman, and Logan Hall, the edge defender from Houston. The big price tag on a proven receiver, then our secondary options for a multifaceted, flexible running back who can also play wide receiver, then an accomplished center playing in a similar scheme and rounding out the free agents, and then spending pick 29 on a guy like Zion Johnson, who I think is going to be a Pro Bowl level guard at the next level, and then Logan Hall for another edge presence and a guy that fits the prototype. Let's do one more. Path number three, Teron Armstead, Emmanuel Ogbon, Leighton Vander Esch, and I also give myself Isaiah McKenzie here. I added the fourth free agent because, well, Vander Esch and McKenzie are kind of a coupled cost at the same rate as a, a mid-tier guy in paths two and three. But then we come back in the draft with Jamison Williams and Isaiah Spiller 
and we wind up with one of the game's best left tackles the last decade in Armstead. We get Ogbob back, and we get Vander Esch as that thumping Mike linebacker, and McKenzie gives us a really nice electric weapon and depth and returnability, and we get more weaponry with Jamison Williams and finish up with another passing game impactor and running back that does a lot of everything in Texas A&M's Isaiah Spiller at pick 50, which really, obviously, there with Williams, Spiller, and McKenzie helps us supplement our offensive arsenal. There's probably 10 of these. There's probably 50 of these. But it starts to get repetitive for a podcast, and the larger point, I think, has been proven. They'll spend the next weeks and months deciding which path is best, build in options A, B, and C, and contingencies for each of those steps of the options, and if this, and that, if this then that type of scenarios, all that stuff, but there are options. And I probably say this just about every day and ahead of every major event on the NFL calendar, but can we just fast forward to mid-March? I am ready for it. So I kind of want to do a hundred of these. Shoot, I kind of feel like Jonah Hill and Moneyball. Brad Pitt says, I need three reports. I come back and say, I did 47. Actually, I did 51. I don't know why I just lied to you just now. It's kind of how I feel. Let's take our last break here on the other side. A quick peek ahead to the opponents in 2022 and a quick note on each Drive Time podcast. Travis Wingfield coming right back. We are back here on the Drive Time Podcast presented by AutoNation on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. I want to finish up here by looking at the 2022 opponents and a quick comment on each. So let's do 20 seconds or so on each opponent. Sound good? And we start in the AFC East. We play these teams twice a year, every year, the New England Patriots. I want to mention the quarterback for all these teams. Mac Jones is our guy for a year or two. We have three straight victories over this team. Second year for them and a lot of those free agents they signed a season ago, which whether it's the draft or free agency, I always find that year two typically gives you closer to your expectations as far as results go from those signings as they kind of get acclimated for a full year and don't have to get up to speed in, in year number one. They're certainly going to want to make their statement against the Dolphins after those three straight losses. They play tough defense every year. They're smart. They're situationally sound. And it's tough to play them on the road, especially those are tough games. The Jets twice. Zach Wilson back for year two. We have four straight wins over this team. And another year for this young roster to mature and get better and progress. I think we saw them get better at a lot of spots, especially running back and offensive line. And they identified a big time weapon in Elijah Moore. And I think that defensive front's always a challenge for those guys, especially with Robert Sala in charge there. So two tough games against the Jets, or I should say tougher games, I think, against the Jets, as I expect them to get better too. Then the Buffalo Bills two times. Josh Allen, man, at some point we have to figure out this code here. They have seven straight wins over us. Got to find a way to slow down that offense. Now, most teams have not had success with that. But I'll be curious to see if they can find their way into being even more two-dimensional with the run game on offense that defense is an absolute problem too. So they're good everywhere. And where teams got them this last year was in their running game. But I have to imagine they go pretty heavy in addressing that as well as their own running game offensively. But I also have to account for the fact that I think they're going to be on a mission this year. Like you watch that Super Bowl and conference championship games. I was thinking it. You were thinking it. They had to have been thinking it. We were 13 seconds away from getting to the AFC championship game. And frankly, I think a lot of us would have picked them to go all the way from that point. Another year of two really tough games for the Dolphins here against the Buffalo Bills, who I think are going to be on an absolute mission next year to finally get over that playoff hump into the Super Bowl. At the Chargers, Justin Herbert's their quarterback. It's a road game out west. Those are always tough. And they have weapons all over the field. I imagine they'll bring back Mike Williams. Austin Eckler was a huge shot in the arm for that offense this year after missing him for the most of 2020. 
forget the years at this point, man. It's going by so fast. But they're a challenge for our defense, and their focus will certainly be the run defense, which finished 27th this year. And then Brandon Staley in year two, I'm guessing, will have that defense up to speed more so this year. Tough pass rush there with Joey Bosa. Derwin James missed some time last year. He'll be back. And you have to really expect to get four straight stops to get their offense off the field because nobody goes for it on fourth down more than the Chargers. The Steelers at quarterback. We don't know here. This is really the one we don't know at all who it's going to be. That's the big question there. And Mike Tomlin always has them ready to play. It's impressive what he's done for two decades now. Loaded on defense at three levels, particularly up front with the Defensive Player of the Year in J.J. Watt. No, check that, T.J. Watt. (laughs) Cameron Hayward's also awesome. Stephon Tuitt. They're just tough to compete against in that arena. But again, what happens at quarterback? Is it Rudolph? Is it Haskins? Is it Malik Willis or another rookie? Can they get one of those big-time quarterbacks if they move, like a Wilson or a Rodgers or who the heck knows? Also, you know they will get Najee Harris plenty of work, a good test of your tackling, but they'll have to block it better, just 3.9 yards per carry for that talented running back as a rookie. The Cleveland Browns, another home game here for the Dolphins. Baker Mayfield is the quarterback right now. Bit of a down year after their best year in franchise history. is Yeah, because they're, they're an expansion in the late 90s. And Baker played through a tough shoulder injury, and I think he should be commended for that. One of the game's best offensive lines, the best one-two punch at running back when they're healthy, and they added a lot of good pieces to that defense. So I expect a jump in year two from guys like John Johnson in that defense. And uh, it was a Troy Hill, the other cornerback they went out and got, not to mention having Miles Garrett and, and the Joker there and uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromo. It's a good defense. We'll go to the Bengals on the road next year and face Joe Burrow. Off a Super Bowl appearance, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, weapons of galore. Weapons of, weapons of galore. Not sure why I went Italian there, but they have a really good offense, and they remade that defense. Their biggest priority this offseason will be re-signing Jesse Bates, one of the best safeties in the National Football League. It seems pretty evident they'll invest in the offensive line this offseason, and they have done that recently with Jonah Williams and Jackson Carmen. What kind of step does he take in your number two? It's a big one for them. But playing them on the road, that's certainly a tough matchup. We also go to Baltimore this year on the road for Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Never look forward to these games up there. They are so tough to beat, especially at home. First, I'll talk about a kicker here. They have a cheat code at the place kicker position who is basically an automatic three points once they cross your 45-yard line, 40-yard line. They have a defense that will get so many players back too. And then J.K. Dobbins, who I think was their biggest loss this year, honestly, They'll be picking the 20 in the top 20 for the first time in the Lamar Jackson era. Perhaps a chance to get him a nice weapon. Speaking of weapons, the Niners on the road for this team as well should see Trey Lance make his, his kind of his debut, so to speak. He played a little bit last year, but he'll probably have the full complement this year. You're one of that. You're one of Mike McDaniel, and we get instantly the McDaniel Shanahan reunion game. You know about this Niners team by now. Samuel's awesome. They're dominant in the running game, regardless of who the back is. They have a super strong offensive line. Trent Williams is the best in the game. Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, very talented defense. Might this become a two-game West Coast swing with the Charger game back-to-back? Maybe. The Vikings at home. Kirk Cousins, Kevin O'Connell, some more of that wide zone boot game type of stuff. And O'Connell has to be giddy about the fact that he's getting Dalvin Cook to work with and Justin Jefferson, which is not system related there, but he's, in my opinion, the second best receiver in the National Football League behind Devontae Adams. Well, I'll be up there pretty soon. That defense will likely get some attention in the offseason as well, so plenty of new pieces there. Also have the Packers coming here to South Florida. Aaron Rodgers, they're good for 13 wins a year, basically. Can they bring back Adams? Aaron Jones is also awesome. They have a good line when they're healthy. One of the best rosters in the National Football League. The best offense 
really on the schedule, probably besides Buffalo. And defensively, they've made massive strides there over the years too. Just a, a truly, truly tough out. I'm happy it's at home. We'll go to the road, on the road, I should say, to face the Lions and Jared Goff, potentially, maybe someone else. You know you're going to get their best effort. They're going to be ready for a rock fight. Strong in the trenches. Emphasis in the running game last year. You have to imagine they they pump some some of those resources into weapons on the offense and start building the outside in general after a heavy emphasis on the trenches a year ago. And then also a road game in Chicago for the Bears. Justin Fields, Matt Eberflus. I love the staff he's built there. And I really just hope the Bears get back to their winning ways because I think the league is better when they're good because they put them on primetime five times a year. I'm also excited for Fields in year two. I think they have some big decisions there with Allen Robinson and Akeem Hicks coming up, but they are aggressive and get the ball out on defense. Eberflus has always done well with takeaways himself. Can they get the line sorted this offseason? That's kind of a big question for them, as it is for so many teams in the National Football League. All right, that's going to be the podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at WingfulNFL, on Instagram as well, and the Miami Dolphins across all social channels at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast. You do not want to miss the Dan Levitard episode. Also, our YouTube channel for Dolphins today. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline. Daddy is coming home.